Yesterday I brought up Yunmen's saying, Everyone has light, or everyone is light. So in this text by Konejo, he continues to explore what he calls this light of nothing gained. In fact, he encourages us, practice the nothing gained of luminosity, of being this light that we are, that isn't dependent upon gaining or losing, isn't dependent on holding on to views, he says, this Buddha Dharma of transmission of, as he uses the word, immutable radiance, is not like some special kind of practice where you seek concentration states and various practice things, various levels. This is different from this harmony of luminosity. And then he starts by quoting Bai Zhang. This spiritual light shines alone, utterly free of senses and objects. The essence manifests, real and eternal. It is not confined to writing or not limited or it's beyond written teachings. So if we say it's real and unchanging, perfect and originally complete. So what is ours to do with this? Very simple. Release objectification and this awakens into suchness. This, meaning this very life circumstances. Or say it differently. Detach from various objectifications or false objects that we hold on to because that's the only thing that hinders this light that we are. This light that we are which in a sense our practice allows us to taste and realize for ourselves. This light that, if I use other kinds of words, is originally, from the beginning, complete and perfect as our life, as the life that we encountered moment by moment, as the life that we encounter. So, how do we see this? How do we practice this? That's what we'll begin to understand as we pursue this text. So, what are we to do? 
simple. Very simple. So let me quote a little of what Kohen Ejo says, and then we can explore it together. And as I said, I'm using two different translations so that we won't be limited in how we understand this. First point, he says, do not be pulled around by states of mind or objects. In your practice, don't rely on intellectual knowledge. Just allow this body-mind functioning to be in the midst of luminosity. What is it to be in the midst of luminosity? What is it to be in the midst of luminosity? If we think luminosity comes from outside, we're in trouble. We think it has to do with specific states, we're in trouble. If we think it has to do with such ideas as samsara and nirvana, then we're in trouble. Fundamentally, he asks, whose experience is your experience at this moment? Whose experience is your experience at this moment? If we attempt to gain something in our sitting and in our practice, if we attempt to look at this through ideas and our understanding, then we're in trouble. Or as he puts it, We spend our days polishing, expecting eventually to see through whatever right now is to the light. If we think light is somewhere else, then we will never see it. We will never see it because we're unwilling to be this that the present moment is. without seeking enlightenment, without trying to get rid of illusions, without aversion to the rising thoughts, feelings, yet without holding on to, without attempting to continuing thoughts, that's how we must practice. If we don't, as he puts it, 
if we don't continue thoughts, then they have no power over us. Because we can be present with them without getting involved in anything at all about them. Letting them go, letting them come. Then the thoughts are nothing but this light that we are. Not only when sitting, but walking and every other step of the day. So, in some way, you could see where this is very similar to what caught in self-centered dream, holding to self-centered thoughts, is pointing at. Never do we say get rid of these thoughts or even that the thoughts are the problem. Notice that the word caught is what makes them the obstacle. The word self-centered, it's not that thoughts are self-centered, it's that we self-center the thoughts, if I say it in a different way. We self-center the thoughts so that the thoughts are about us, as opposed to allowing the thoughts to be as they are. What does that mean? What does that mean? The point of our sitting is all not to create a particular state, nor is it to resist any particular state that ex- arises as we sit. It is without attempting to do anything of them, with them, as he puts it, allow the shining light in which body and mind are one suchness to keep manifesting. If we say it differently, let's use a different translation which might make it clearer to you what he means. He says... Grasping to self, at self, clinging to appearances, hinders us from understanding what's right now. Grasping at self, clinging to appearances, or cultivating mind, and looking for mind is just obstructing this luminosity that is mind. (coughs) Obstructs the luminosity. Notice it's the grasping or looking for this cultivating in attempting to make this mind functioning be some particular thing that obscures, 
obstructs, blinds us to this fundamental luminosity that is what, if you want, if I use a word, awareness is, we could say that it is what awareness is. It is the awareness which I'm calling in this case, or he's calling, the shining light of suchness which doesn't differ from so-called ordinary people and so-called wise or sage people from so-called deluded people and so-called awakened people. It's not something that's related particularly to sitting and not um, available or not present in each step of life. So, breathing in, breathing out, hearing, touching, without holding to thoughts of separation, is just this silent illumination of luminosity, of body-mind as one, silent illumination of luminosity, light showing light. But the important point is without thoughts of separation. That's the flip side of caught and self-centered, which is all about separation, all about separation, or all about conscious knowledge and subjective discriminations. Different ways of saying the same thing. This is functioning in throughout life, throughout life of coming and going, born, being born and ceasing. This arising and passing doesn't hinder this luminosity, or to use the words that one translator says, in the midst of impermanence, this luminosity is unobstructed. So what is that sort of luminosity that's in the midst of impermanence, meaning in the midst of ongoing changing, that is, circumstances, because... That's really where, when we talk about caught and self-centered dream, we're talking about the midst of the changing, and the midst of the changing that normally says to us, I like it, or I don't like it, I shouldn't have it, or I should have it, I understand it, it's because of so-and-so and such-and-such, or, well, I don't quite understand it, but I have to figure it out. This luminosity isn't dependent on our knowing or not knowing, on our attention or our thoughts. It's it 
doesn't depend even on our mind. So what is this luminosity? Not dependent. <coughs> Excuse me. Not dependent on our mind. Not dependent upon our condition. See, the fundamental aspect of sitting is to be able to be this present, or as we say in the practice principle, being just this moment in the midst of whatever the condition is. It's not being just this moment in some special condition, but being just this moment in whatever the condition is. Whatever condition is means, to use the words that Cohen Ejo says, free of discriminating thought or intention. The luminosity is unobstructed in the midst of impermanence. Unobstructed in the midst of impermanence. See, we usually think that impermanence obstructs all sorts of things. When things change, cease, when it's not the way I want, or when it is the way I want, that enhances or detracts from the luminosity Yet this luminosity doesn't depend on our condition. Even more than that, this luminosity shines, if I use that word, quote, without exerting mental energy. This luminosity that we are, that is our sitting, that is our practice, that is our body-mind, is without exerting energy, is spontaneously shining, spontaneously shining so that whether we call it awakened state, whether we call it so-called anything else, it's never any fixed place. It has no location. So, Koenejo goes even further. When Buddhas appear in this universe, it doesn't arise with them. When Buddhas cease, luminosity does not cease. When you are born, luminosity is not born. When you die, luminosity does not die. Buddhas do not have more of it. Sentient beings, every one of you and everyone you meet, does not have less. If you are deluded, it is not. If you are enlightened, it is not. It has, it's not dependent upon that. No location no appearance. It's not lost in confusion or awakened by enlightenment. No name, no appearance, no location, though here we're calling this luminosity. It is 
this is very strong words, totality of everything. Very interesting way he's describing it. Totality of everything. Or, he, another translation said, it is, this is the body of totality of all things. So what is this? body of totality of all things that is our life and it's everything that we encounter see that's being just this moment it's not being just this moment isn't a mentally created condition it's not dependent upon us doing something for this to be so. It is always exactly what our life is. That's why when you are born, it is not born. It, when you die, it is, does not die. Birth, death, I am, I am not, I don't like, I do like. That's why Buddha doesn't have more and sentient being do not have less. And sentient being includes anyone and everyone, those who you judge as good and you like, and those who you judge as so-called no good, who you don't like. So what's the issue with this in terms of practice? Even if 84,000 random thoughts arise and disappear, as long as individually (coughs) we don't get involved with them, but let go of them, then... Each thought is revealed as light of wisdom, of spiritual power. And not just when we're sitting, but even throughout the day. 84 random thoughts, 84,000, 84 million. It is... Only the subjective thinking that we insist as the truth of who and what we are that gets us in trouble. Otherwise, not engaging or not holding to that subjective thinking, which is seeing so-called inside and so-called outside as in terms of self-centeredness or even other-centeredness. doesn't make a difference. It's subjective whether it's inside or outside. can't grasp it and you can't throw it away. Can't grasp it and can't throw it away. Of course, even as soon as we grasp, we're in trouble. of this for tomorrow because I'm sure you have something to say so I'll give you that opportunity rather than continue
and tomorrow I'll finish the rest of his clarification of this luminosity that we all are. That's the whole point of this text. This, whether we call it absorption in the treasury light, absorption. So being absorbed or the practice of this treasury of light, luminosity, that is, that is our life. See, in a way, to say this is extra, and yet he says, I'm going to remind you of these aspirations so that you can be supported in doing and being who you are, or, say it a different way, ceasing to do and be who you're not. I mean, if you think of it, our practice principles, to a great extent, are about ceasing to do what gets in the way of us being who we are, ceasing to hold, to be caught in self-centeredness in various form, or self and other-centeredness in various form, which is the only thing that keeps us from seeing what we always are, not leading us to gain something else, but to cease refusing what this life, what and who you encounter from morning to night. Okay, I'll stop now. Otherwise, I'll just go on and on and let you say something if you have something to say. About what? Screaming the, the ice. Screaming? Scraping. Scraping. Which is not something that I do as an aspiration, but something that I do so I can see out the windshield. Yes. I don't think about it. Yes. I don't polish my car. I don't polish the windshield. In fact, I only just sort of scrape out that much <laughs> is required to see. You're just enough to... So what is... <laughs> Blocking you from seeing. Um, <clears throat> my question has to do with striving. Well, because striving to do what? Well, uh, my understanding is that Dogen, in his instructions for Zazen, said that sitting itself in Zazen is a manifestation of Buddha, which he, to me means manifesting Sure. Yet, there. What is the line between manifesting our true self through seeing, uh, sitting, and striving to manifest ourselves? Can you strive without having a particular goal that you're striving for, but simply because? There's ice that's getting into your face. So in the functioning of being the ice and your face, you're removing the ice from your face. But the removing of the ice and the ice itself are nothing but the Buddhahood word which you used, are nothing but this life. And you and the ice are just this life functioning right now. It's hard to answer whether I can because I don't know the distinction between doing what needs to be done and striving. So where does the idea of striving come from? And what do you believe striving is about? 
striving that through effort. No, striving for you is a striving to do what? Oh, well, I think striving for me is misguided. Is the what? I miss- is misguided. Is misguided. can do but sort of be. And yet, when Dogen talks about the state of no thought, when we sit, watch the thoughts go by. He doesn't say no thought. He says non-thinking. Otherwise, no thought is that uh, you have thoughts and then you try to get to this place called no thoughts, which are different from thought. Dogen says practice is non-thinking in the sense that we create this idea of, you want to say, duality. These things I want, these things I don't want. This state is when thoughts make trouble for me, so I'm going to try to go to something else that's going to cease to make trouble for me. But it's in our very idea that these, this is trouble that makes it into, I'm going to get rid of this, and get this. The, in a way, our practice is in the midst of what arises. What is it skillful for me to do right now, both embodying what arises and then responding to it, if I use that kind of word, to do what's skillfully called for out of being present with what arises. Yeah, yeah, and but it's that's what our life is, but it's also seeing how and where we get caught up, if we say it that way, in the likes and dislikes or judgments that we have about what should or shouldn't arise, as opposed to what does or doesn't arise, what should or shouldn't be in my space, if I use that word, those kinds of phrases, as opposed to what is here and what's called for here. But these words are just, what should I say, guidance and reminders Guidance and reminders because we are so habituated both in terms of our own life and in terms of how our culture um, teaches us to believe that really my discriminations are are or should be the basis of what I do or don't do, what occurs to me, what feelings I have or don't have, how I react to things. We believe that and we use that to punish ourselves and others or sometimes the punishment isn't in the sense of elevating ourself and others based on that. So that we think some things are ordinary and some things are extraordinary, sage, wise, etc., etc. And the ordinary we want to get rid of and the special we want to gather towards us or attain. Does that make sense? We think sometimes, well, practicing sitting in the zendo, that's good, but then when I have to use the bathroom and clean up afterwards, well, that's something else. I have to get back to the zendo. And we forget that cleaning up, whether washing the dishes, taking out the trash, shoveling the ice, or as you were saying, scraping the ice, 
is as much the activity of zazen as crossing your legs and sitting upright and breathing in and breathing out. We forget that. (coughs) Because we have a habit that is deeply, what should I say, seems deeply true to us that our likes and dislikes or our valuing are the truth of reality, of what we should or shouldn't encounter, or should or shouldn't put our energy into. So I hope that if you have to scrape the ice, you remember that that's the zendo of your this moment. That's the luminosity, scraping luminosity, if I use those kinds of words. Of course, using words like luminosity, we all of a sudden think already it's something special. So, in a way, better than luminosity is light, because light is all-pervasive. Even in darkness, it's light. So light is all-pervasive as our body-mind. I talked about this a little yesterday. If you just translate light in the sense the whole of our functioning and awareness and physical and mental life is just different forms of light energy, waves, and so forth. We'd like to break it up and talk about it in different ways and fine we do that but that's what it is one second anything else you want to say Eugenia not at this time okay some of this feels really intellectual. Okay. And I am thinking of, you know, taking apart, thinking of delight or um, lighten up. Yes. Things that, that are useful and that we can notice because they're, they're real. And when you delight, you light up. Yes, and just because those words are there, that's fine if those can help you begin to notice what's happening in the functioning of being human, in the functioning of our life. There's a reason whether you use the word awaken, whether you use the word enlighten, to talk about the Buddha's awakening, whatever it is, we use those kinds of terms that, in a sense, is not about gaining something, but about what's always so. And yet, it's something that we insist in many ways that's not so for us and continue to obstruct ourself from who and what we are. So this sitting, this zazenning, yes. um, is, a, I mean, is a way of Letting the thoughts go and paying attention to to this moment through the breath. Let's say it differently. Ceasing to grab on to the thoughts so that we're not obstructing 
what we even can't obstruct, but somehow believe we can. See, what's obstructed is only that way for us. It isn't obstructed, but it seems so for us. That's why we use word caught and self-centered. It's not the thoughts. It's that we catch and interpret those thoughts in that way. The coming and going of thoughts is just the functioning of being human. That's why he emphasizes when Buddhas appear in this universe, it does, luminosity doesn't come from them. When Buddhas cease, luminosity doesn't cease. Luminosity isn't dependent on us being born, doesn't cease when we die. But it might cease for us when we believe our being born or dying or believe that about others, when we believe that some people are special and some people are ordinary, and that the ordinary are lacking something and the special have something extra, then we miss the luminosity that's there. And it's the same for situations. We believe all sorts of circumstances and situations are better ones. So then we look and maybe find some of the luminosity that's there. And then we see other situations, oh, they're just ordinary. Yeah, such a bother to have to deal with that. And we miss so the luminosity. Well, I don't know how it, it... It's not that sitting helps it appear, but the simple fact is that because sitting is just sitting... Our usual habits of, I've got to do this, this, and this in order to have it better, and I've got to cease doing this, this, and this, or not do this and this in order to not have it worse, disappears. Because we sit in the midst of whatever arises, whether it's so-called what we want or so-called what we don't want. We don't try in sitting to get away from those thoughts, I've got to, we cease holding on to them, if you could say that. <coughs> See, that's the point of saying, Buddhas don't bring luminosity. It's the discriminating thoughts, if I use that kind of phrase, or discriminating intentions that blinds the luminosity that isn't even obstructed, and yet it's obstructed for us. It's not dependent upon us, and yet it seems to not be so for us if we insist it's not so for us. In other words, if I insist I have to have A, B, C, and not C, D, E, no, A, B, C, and not D, E, F, then, when I have DEF, it's not there for me. And even when I have ABC, I'm still saying, well, it's only here because I have ABC, and then it's not here for me either. Does that make sense? What do you want me to say? The specifics. I need to be with um, Mary and John. Then I'm going to. Then things are good, but. If I'm with Joseph and Paul, then things are bad. Then when I'm with Joseph and Paul, I miss the luminosity of being with Joseph and Paul. And I'm with and when I'm with Mary and John, I even then am missing them because I believe it's only because it's Mary and John, but it's not just because this is the nature of being with people, being by myself, being, being. I miss the very nature of the luminosity that isn't dependent upon specific conditions. We believe 
that the conditions are what make things okay or not okay. And therefore, the conditions blind us to the luminosity that isn't dependent upon conditions. See, that's the point when he says, let's see if I think. We all showed up here. Great, great. Okay, for various reasons, different paths. Yes. Some of us for a long time. Yes. Because, in my case, I guess I think I'm going to get something. Oh, really? (laughs) What are you going to get? So I keep coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you've been coming for a long time. Have you gotten it? Yes, I keep coming. (laughs) No, no, no. When you come here, you discover that what you always have. You discover that you're trying to get rid of something that you never had. The only thing you can discover is what is always this life. In this luminosity, he says, people and sages, deluded and enlightened, are all one. It's in the midst of all sorts of impermanence, things coming and going. It's not obstructed. It's not obstructed by coming or going. So when conditions come, that doesn't obstruct it, nor does it add to it. When they leave, cease. That's what you discover in your sitting and in sitting with others, if I say it that way, that it's not dependent upon your controlling which thoughts you have and which thoughts you don't have. It's not dependent on your controlling what bodily sensations arise or what bodily sensations cease to arise. But you're the expert. If, if our sitting was to create a certain state of mind, then all it is is creating states of mind. The very nature of being, whether I say being who we are or being this luminosity, which is the same thing, is to see that states of mind, states of being come and go but we are not hindered by their coming or their going. Because that's what I talked about the first day. That's what the Buddha says. All composite things are always changing, are ceasing and arising. He doesn't say arising, but are subject to ceasing, to passing away. So if what you're looking for is dependent on a specific set of conditions always be in trouble. That's never your true name, your true nature. You can't grab on to it. If this luminosity, if this light was something you could grab on to, then it's not light. Then it's just another thing. And everything that you grab you will have to let go of. Or will it will let go of you, whichever way you want to say it. See, in a way, you, you're right. Why come and sit? And yet, we know for ourselves, not because someone else convinces us, maybe not the first time, but after a while, we know that what we are touching of being who we are. It's not that we're gaining something, but we're ceasing to do what gets us in trouble. I quoted from what Richard said about what he does, what Sashin was for him, my Uncle Richard, uh, uncle-in-law, whatever way you want to. He said going to Sashin was was taking his mind to the laundry. So, 
It's not that you're trying to get new clothes, but you're ceasing to obstruct this mind, heart, body, functioning life that you are in all the ways that we tend to obstruct it. That's why we say caught in self-centered dream. We don't say caught in dream. We say caught in self-centered dream. Holding to self-centered thoughts. It's, excuse me, to turn, I have to turn to face you, otherwise my, I'll get a crick in my neck. And, oh, it's fine, I don't want it. So if I could avoid it, I'll avoid it. Um, it's the self-centeredness that turns the thoughts that come and go into something else, into an obstruction. Though it's aren't not an obstruction. What? Aren't all thoughts um, self-centered? No. Well, thoughts are just thoughts. They arise from this self that's centered. No, like no, no, no. They arise in this... Where is this self... Yes, where is this self that you're talking about? Uh, I'm not sure which self you're talking about. You just <laughs> said. in the chair, the luminosity one, which is non-local. This is very confusing. What self? <laughs> do you think there's a self inside here? Yes, I do. There's some self that's inside there that when it attaches itself to thinking, about itself, you know, it can make up stories that aren't yes, true. Yes, you're right. And uh, sitting helps me to see that I'm making up stories and let them go. And then right. there's a place where something else arises right. that is much freer. Right. And I think that's why we sit, because yes. we have those experiences. Because we see that this idea of self, this habit of self, or I shouldn't say idea, habit, habit of self-centeredness has, if I say it this way, um, deleterious consequences. Habit of self-centeredness. What? Yes. Habit of self-centeredness. Okay. Um, So, when I said all thoughts are self-centered, Yes. And you said, no, they're not. Right. Tell me what you're... Thoughts are just thoughts in the process of being, for humans, they're one kind of thought. <laughs> so do they become self-centered when we attach to them and make a story out of them and believe them? I, I, I don't, I don't want to quite um, explain it just that way, but that's an okay way to talk about the process. The process is multifaceted. It's physical and it's mental and it's it's not easily teased out. And but we, for the sake of talking about it, we could say there's the grasping and clinging to the thoughts, the following them along, the believing the thoughts as the truth of who and what we are and who and what others are. Well, yes, it starts trouble and it perpetuates trouble. Mm-hmm. So because because it's not something I have to convince you of, but it's something we discover for ourselves, and we discover it even more as we sit because we could see how that process goes on, even though we're not particularly wanting that process to occur, it seems to go on. So could we say that the trouble starts when we believe the conditions that we're thinking of? You could say that. You could say even more the trouble is a consequence of the clinging to it. I mean, in a sense, that's a fairly traditional Buddhist um, uh, description that trouble or suffering or sorrows, or unsatisfactoriness is a result of attachment and clinging, or greed and anger, and confusion. So it's not the existence of, uh, of thoughts coming and going. And it's not just thoughts, because there's thoughts, and there's feelings, and there's sensations. You know, whatever way we want to break up these 
these different aspects of being human, instead of taking them for, let's say, the energy of existence, the energy of light, if I use that kind of word, what this text is using, instead of taking it for that, we take it as good or bad, what I want, what I don't want, what's in my favor and what will cause me trouble, and build on that, and then keep on doing things that we think is going to get me what I need, because I know what I need, except when I discover that what I thought I needed isn't going to be what I needed, and isn't going to give me what I want, and whether it's in terms of fame, fortune, peace, or any other things that we think will make me be okay, because otherwise I believe I'm not okay. I believe that just encountering someone in the street and saying good morning, well, that's not so important. So I really shouldn't appreciate that. Instead of seeing, as Sue was saying, the delight and enlightening of face-to-face intimacy with someone, good morning. Smiling to and being smiled to. And the natural enlightening of that kind of moment intimacy. Um, Once um, I heard a story, and I I might be mangling it, but that's okay. Um, Soen Roshi uh, was in uh, Jerusalem, and he was meeting with Martin Buber, and I can't remember the whole of the story, but the point that I want to make is they said, well, let us share Zen by greeting each other, shaking hands. And that was their sharing of Zen, face-to-face, person-to-person. Which one said that? I don't remember. It doesn't make a difference. (laughs) Does it make a difference? I'm not sure what the point of the story is. What? It doesn't make... The point is that when you grasp and greet someone, right there is your Zen. When you say good morning to someone, right there is your Zen. That's a moment of Zen. When you bow to someone and they bow back to you, or even if they don't bow back to you, See, every encounter is this moment of Zen. Since I'm telling stories, I said something about Richard and I, then I said something about Soen Roshi, so let me put the two of them together. After Sashin, once, Richard was walking with Soen Roshi and Soen Roshi saw blowing in the grass a piece of used wrapping paper. Someone had, so he, he, he bent down, picked it up, and he, he straightened it out and gave it to Richard and said, Oh, this is a great treasure. Please, please make good use of this. <laughs> so, what we're talking about is this luminosity that we live in and we live as and that is our whole from morning to night functioning that's why we could say it doesn't come with or it doesn't disappear it's not dependent upon it's not only when we're sitting every step is just a step of light but and this is the butt of our practice principles, if we turn it into and look for our functioning is in terms of self-centered thoughts, we get caught in those. Because then we say, well, when I walk, ordinary walks, that's no big deal. 
the only ones that are light is when I do some certain kind of specific walk, whether in the Zendo or in some other important place. The only times of greetings that are important are with so-and-so and so-and-so. Everyone else is high-by, high-by. Every piece of paper, this, you know, this isn't significant. Even if all I'm going to do with this is put it into the recycling, it's still a great treasure. See, that's what the caught and self-centered dream is, is how our dream imposes on reality of our life in ways that it hinders us from being who we are. That's why sitting, to just sitting, sitting upright, is the opportunity to see that it's just doing the most ordinary, simple that will reveal, that will nurture, that would make, allow us to be alive as who and what we truly are, not as some self-centered story that really, even if we think it's true at the moment, is really obstructing because it's catching us in the dream in order to be able to appreciate the ordinary. So, that's what I mean. I don't know, too much. Excuse me. Okay, I'll can. <coughs> excuse me. If my voice holds out, I will continue tomorrow with the rest, the ending of this text. I will say that I've actually skipped most of this text. This, this text is, uh, I don't know how many pages, 10, 15 pages in English, but I've only done a few paragraphs in the beginning and a few paragraphs at the end. Ah, here's a nice one. I think I read a different translation of this, so I'll read it again now. I'll close with this. This is Bai Jang saying, The luminosity of mind shines alone, unentangled by sensory objectifications, which is the likes, dislikes, self-centeredness, real and unchanging. The essential manifests beyond written teachings as the stainless <coughs> nature of awareness, perfect and originally complete. Just released objectifications, objectifications, and it awakens into suchness. Okay, thank you. Samuel, real quick. Isn't there going to be a piece of this in the newsletter? Yes, the, the, the at last, last lines of it will be in the newsletter. Could we, uh, just while I'm thinking about it, I'll mention, could we include a, a link to the You can do that. You're the boss. Well, I'm just saying. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Oh, okay. We'll do that. Okay.